leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. ago, a group of San Francisco State University alumni who were working at Genentech got together with Michael Goldman, the university's chairman of the biology department, to establish the school's annual personalized medicine conference. This year, the conference will revisit topics from the past 10 years, as well as explore the future of personalized medicine and ask speakers to reflect on how personalized medicine has changed their lives. We spoke to SF State's Goldman and Dan Maher, one of the alumni who drove the creation of the conference, about the state of personalized medicine, the pace of advances, and what's surprised them most about where we are today. As a matter of disclosure, Dan is a friend, colleague, and co-author of A Rare Breed, our forthcoming book on the history of Biomarin. Dan, Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This is the 10th year for the Personalized Medicine Conference at San Francisco State. This year you're talking a bit of a retrospective view, inviting speakers from the past to talk about whether it's changed their lives. We're, we're going to talk about the state of personalized medicine, whether or not it's changed lives, and what may be ahead. But let's start with a, a, a bit of terminology. One way you can tell this is a conference in its 10th year is by its name itself. We, we've seen a move toward the use of precision medicine as opposed to personalized medicine. I'm wondering, do you see a difference in meaning between personalized medicine and precision medicine? You know, um, I, I actually consider terms like personalized medicine, genomic medicine, and precision medicine to be pretty similar, um, probably not worth quibbling uh, about, but the idea of all of them is really tailoring and tailoring prevention and treatment to the characteristics of the individual, and that's actually something that dates all the way back to Hippocrates, who said it's far more important to know what, a, what person the disease has than what disease the person has. And the, what, what's so phenomenal about that realization is that now in genomic medicine, we kind of think of the person as the DNA sequence. But looking more broadly at it, it's actually the person, um, the, the DNA sequence, the RNA that's produced, the proteins that are produced, 
the um, metabolic compounds that are are circulating all over our our, our bodies. Um, everything about us, everything that's going on, the history of diseases you've had, the moods you're in, um, and even where you were raised and where you happen to be living now, what your socioeconomic condition is, all of those have something to do with um, who you are as an individual and how you respond to both preventive medicine and therapeutics. Um, so I'd say there's there's uh, a little difference between all those those words, but I kind of consider them fairly synonymous. This is a, a fast-moving field. Think back, though, to when this conference began 10 years ago. This was 10 years after the approval of Herceptin, five years after the mapping of the human genome, two years after the founding of 23andMe. What was the state of personalized medicine back then, and, and what was the expectation? Well, I think personalized medicine has really come a long way, and I agree with the analysis that um, we probably were over-promising for the short term, but we're probably under-promising for the long term. Um, but to, to look back in those days, for one thing, um, nobody even thought that we'd really get to gene therapy. Um, there had been a few attempts, there had been a few spectacular failures, and there was no uh, big killer app out there for gene therapy. And right now, there is a killer app, namely CRISPR-Cas9, which was the subject of our, our, our ninth um, meeting last year. But I think it's significant that as many times as, as we thought about uh, presenting a conference that centered on gene therapy, um, before CRISPR-Cas9 came along, uh, it just didn't seem like it, it would, would merit the time. I, I think Dan and I have had the conversation, but you should be warned about using the term killer app to describe therapeutic approaches. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I do think it, it's fair to say that there's been a slow pace of integration of personalized medicine into clinical practice. E even in cancer care, where there's been the greatest impact, perhaps, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to unlock the genetics, driving different cancers and create a bigger tool chest of therapies. Does this lack of clinical visibility blur the gains that have been made? I think that that's always been a, a, a serious problem in medicine. The difference from the time that something is approved as a therapy or even when it becomes obvious that it's going to work as a therapy to, to the time when it's broadly available to everyone. And there are a number of reasons for that. Um, number one, of course, uh, whether or not people are insured. Um, number two, whether or not those insurance companies will actually pay for it. Um, but I think one of the, the largest problems is whether or not the in 
individual, uh, the individual provider actually is aware of the treatment and when it should be used and is aware of the, the, the possibilities for taking a very comprehensive diagnostic profile of an individual in order to um, in order to land on the best plan for prevention and treatment. Well, let's let's bring Dan in here because Dan, as I thought about where we are in terms of personalized medicine, it seems to me we've seen. It seems to me, in many ways, the, the rare disease world has really been leading, in, in a sense. A large portion of these diseases are genetic in nature. Is it different in the rare disease spaces? Personalized medicine made a bigger impact. I think I think it has in in the rare disease field, um, and something I've been guilty of saying in in my own uh, career, especially of late, is that. Um, there's so few patients and many, many uh, rare disease or open disease companies get to know their patients um, by name. They are, they, they take care of uh, many facets of their um, health delivery and, and they become, um, although this is overused term of the simplification, they became, become like family. So, uh, that, that's really the epitome of personalized medicine and, and, and in a sense, um, in a sense, it's almost a pure form of delivery of therapeutics because many of these orphan rare diseases um, stem from uh, mutations where uh, one protein is missing or damaged, and many many examples in industry and around the world today where um, those proteins or those enzymes are made and uh, given back, basically purest form of, uh, of a replacement therapy, if you will. So um, it is it is a bit different in the orphan world. I think it's pinnacle of personalized medicine myself. And and it actually, um, uh, this conference really stems from a partnership between um, pure science and and industry uh, as represented by uh, Mike and I, really. And that, that sort of was the genesis. So in the first decade of the conference, it's really come full circle, and, and the conference has evolved with the evolving uh, world of personalized medicine and the advancement of genetics and science and so on. So you alluded to earlier, Danny, the, the Herceptin uh, was the first example of perhaps um, a tailored, uh, a therapeutic in the cancer world, um, and that, that stems us from Genentech, of course. Um, and there's been so many, many more advancements in this last two decades, and there's many, many more examples out there today in the therapeutic world where um, a genetic uh, predisposition that is tested and, and shown uh, then leads to a therapy that is tailored for that uh, genetic result. Um, it's just fantastic, and I think there's even more to come. And we're just really at the infancy of all this, so it is pretty exciting. One of the things you know, I, I think we've seen with success in the rare disease space is, is really targeting the underlying molecular mechanism of this disease and moving from something like enzyme replacement therapy now to the potential of gene therapy 
or other regenerative therapies that are potentially curative. Where do you see us in, in that march, and how far have we progressed in that regard? Oh, I, I think fantastically far. Um, as we already alluded to earlier, the, um, the state of gene therapy three decades ago was pretty dismal, and um, it really had a rough time uh, uh, getting started. There were many, many technical, scientific, and challenges. Um, but just in the last few years, and certainly at uh, my former company, BioMarin, um, the gene therapy is really becoming a platform that looks the uh, a key part of orphan diseases and the rare disease space going forward. Um, many, many diseases are rare and certainly ultra rare, um, but gene therapy can address uh, even the larger diseases that are even more problematic, such as hemophilia. So um, it's very exciting. Uh, it's a new era almost. And it's a, uh, a step function, if you will, away from um, the era where we always do is think about, uh, uh, you know, unraveling the human genome. What we missed all along the way that has really enabled therapeutic approaches, uh, especially in the rare disease space, was we never really paid attention until the last decade or so to the pathological genome. That is, here is here's the sequence of all our human genes. Boom. Well, it's those genes that become mutated that then derive the pathology that leads to the disease. And they either are singular, single point mutations, or or a combination of several different mutations, all in a cascade that leads to a disease. Well, we missed all that, and it's only in this last decade or so, at least in my opinion, that we're catching up with it. And what you see today with Gene therapy is really taking advantage of understanding all of that. So it's uh, pretty exciting. In the broader population, we, we tend to think of personalized medicine largely in the context of cancer therapies. There, there are plenty of examples of success in other areas. Do you expect to see this have a bigger impact on other diseases in any significant way anytime soon? I actually think it, it should become the dominant kind of, um, the, the do dominant scenario should soon be that there is a diagnostic or a marker associated with every drug that can be prescribed. And the fact that we've been able to sequence whole genomes very rapidly and large numbers of whole genomes, uh, and it's becoming more and more common and more and more inexpensive all the time. Um, that essentially puts us in a position where, as, as one of our speakers said last year, every single base of our, our 3 billion uh, nucleotide, every single base is actually a, a potential target for gene therapy. I think of Regeneron, which is now trying to incorporate genetics into every drug they develop. We, we may not be at a point where all sequenced at the doctor's office and, and doctors tailor their care to our genetic makeup, but are we seeing the genomic age play out in other areas such as drug development first? 
Well, I think you you don't think of developing drugs without trying to understand some of, of the genetics that may be underlying the disease or susceptibility to the disease. Um, so I think it's already had a huge impact there. And I don't think of personalized medicine just as, as um, getting better therapies or better prevention, but also um, being able to create new therapies because we find new drug targets, and also being able to put um, some of the, the old medicines to better uses. So, for instance, if, um, if let's say, a high incidence of adverse drug reactions has taken something off the market or made it less desirable as a product, um, being able to distinguish um, between those people who will have uh, the, the adverse reaction versus those who are likely to tolerate the drug and find it effective is a very important contribution of, of a part of personalized medicine that we usually refer to as pharmacogenomics. On the diagnostic side, do you, do you see us moving away from these sort of single gene tests to whole genome sequencing anytime soon? Well, it's already well below $1,000 for, for an entire genome. And it's, it's, and there are already hundreds of thousands of, of um, at, at least partial sequences of people on file. And so I think it's just going to be a matter of a decade or so before everyone has that genome information as a part of the permanent medical record. Um, I, I'd be surprised if, if we didn't make that target. Michael, you, you've got two speakers on the program representing companies focused on the microbiome. A, a reminder how personalized medicine extends beyond genetics and, and how layered and complex biology can be. Like many things involving biology, has the complexity of the science underlying personalized medicine been underappreciated? Um, well, I think it's a it's a, a big problem in data science. Um, we need big data for the future of medicine. And you were mentioning rare diseases, of course, uh, which which I think is is extremely important. But I think what um, what personalized medicine and, and the microbiome is showing us is that every one of us is a completely distinct individual, um, if even identical twins who have a different microbiome will respond to medicines differently and will be susceptible to different diseases and likely to have different outcomes. It's as if nowadays every disease is actually a rare disease. Um, so yes, there are many levels of, of complication, but I think it's very exciting that, um, that we're actually getting a handle on some things like the microbiome now and that um, we can actually correct some diseases by changing the microbiome. With a little imagination, it wasn't hard to sketch out where we might be someday with personalized medicine and some 
Star Trek tricorder type future. But I'd like to ask each of you, what's surprised you the most about where we are today? What's, what's the most unexpected result of development with personalized medicine that you hadn't foreseen 10 years ago? You know, Michael, why don't you take it and then Dan? I'd have to say that it's the gene therapy itself and, and the idea of being able to edit every single nucleotide. Um, each time I, I listen to a talk on CRISPR-Cas9 or another form of gene, gene uh, editing, I kind of think back about what I would have thought uh, in 1983 or so, um, uh, listening to a talk, if all of a sudden somebody had actually told me this was going to happen or, or told me this was actually happening. Um, I, I think that has been the most exciting uh, with the most potential. Um, but, you know, 15 years ago, I would have, I would have said polymerase chain reaction was was the biggest surprise, and so 15 years from now, um, we're probably going to see something that we totally do not anticipate. Dan, any thoughts? And and I I actually agree with Mike on 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 his comments as well. CRISPR Cas9 is uh, you know just sprung on us here in the last few years. The remarkable thing to me is sort of the timeline of evolution to application. I mean, it's as if each decade of the last three decades, um, uh, it took longer to sort out challenges. So, for instance, in the 80s, gene therapy was very problematic. And it took, it took literally a couple of decades sorted out, if not more. And now here we are with gene therapy moving forward. If you look at and companies also didn't spring up until the end of the several decades, and only now um, many, many players are in the field, especially in the orphan space. Um, but with CRISPR-Cas9, just last year and even into this year, um, financing and companies being started by venture capital, um, it's all happening in the span of just a few years where the technology gets published, there's a huge patent fight over all of the technology, and it's still unresolved. And even before that's unresolved, companies now are springing up uh, all over the country, uh, targeting uh, all all diseases in all different areas. Uh, Editas being an example uh, in, the, in the East Coast, and there's many, many more. So the, the compression of the advancement of technology is what surprises me in the context of genes and gene therapy and gene editing. And that's the other thing I'd add. Personalized Medicine 10.0, has it changed your life? The 10th anniversary conference will be held June 2nd, 2017. For more information, go to personalizedmedicine.sfsu.edu. Michael Goldman, professor and chair of the Department of Biology at San Francisco State University, and Dan Maher, former senior vice president of product development at Biomarin. Fly Fisherman Extraordinaire and soon to be author. Michael and Dan, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, 
subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.